us from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. You know, the two hymns, like the hymns we've had so far, you almost don't need a sermon. Right? you got the whole Christian faith jam-packed in there. So today we're talking about authority. About the Word of God. In Reformation terms, this is one of our solas. Sola Scriptura. Scripture alone. You know, when I was a kid, a TV show debuted called South Park. It's still on the air today. Nobody's parents wanted them to watch it. And that made it all the more alluring. Early on in the show, one of the more obnoxious characters, Cartman, who's a very chubby little boy, a nasty little fourth grader with a foul mouth, becomes hall monitor in one of the episodes. He takes it too far, becoming obsessed with power and presenting himself as a police officer. And keep in mind, this is a comedy and it's animated, even though it's not for children. He repeatedly tells the other students, respect my authority, before sacking them with a billy club. <laughs> what exactly is authority anyway? Where do we derive our source of authority? Who is in charge? Who gets to call all the shots? Authority reformed, or as we say in our Reformation language, sola scriptura, scripture alone. That's our theme today. Authority can be a good thing. In many cases, authority is a shortcut to knowledge. If you're having a medical issue, go see the doctor. Don't go on Google. If you're having car trouble, find a reliable mechanic. If you can't get your computer to work, call a millennial. <laughs> yeah, call your grandson, exactly. If there's something strange in your neighborhood, who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. <laughs> Physicians, mechanics, millennials, and Ghostbusters. All examples of authorities. And here's a joke for you, and I hope you don't get too offended by it. One day, Oli, an old Norwegian farmer, was having some stomach trouble. Something he'd eaten didn't quite agree with him. When he came out of the bathroom after quite some time, his wife, Lena, asked him, Who should I call first, a plumber or an exorcist? <laughs> Where do we go if we want to know about who God is and what God is like? Various groups have answered this question in a variety of different ways over the years. Some go out seeking and looking for God in nature. They seek to understand God by examining his workmanship. Well intended, sure. But the traces of God that we do find in nature won't give us the whole story. You might see God's power on display, and you might even see his wrath if you look closely enough. But you won't find grace or forgiveness. 
you won't find any of the things that God has revealed to humanity by speaking to us. So where do we go to find out what God is like? Go to the Bible. Go to Scripture alone. Scripture is the only source and norm of Christian faith and teaching. Go to the Word of God. Scripture is God's self-revelation given for the purpose of creating and strengthening our faith in Him. See, our God is a very conversational God. He loves to talk to us. He loves when we talk to Him. The Bible is nothing less than God speaking to us. It is the Word of God. And even though you've heard that a million times before, consider this before you take it for granted. God speaks to humanity. The God who is otherwise unreachable and beyond comprehension initiates a conversation with humanity. He condescends, he lowers himself to speak to us through simple means like human language. It's no simple matter that the Bible is the word of God. What else could possibly shape our confession of faith, our doctrine, our teaching, our preaching, and our life together more than a direct message from God? This was a major piece of the movement that today we call the Reformation. Luther was up against a culture that was dominated by authority in the church. Even kings and emperors sought approval and coronation from the bishop of Rome, the Pope. The Pope, as the medieval mind thought of him, was God's direct representative on earth. Anything that he said was to be received as if Jesus Christ himself was saying it right then and there. Regardless of how it conflicted with A, previous popes, B, councils of the church, or C, the Bible. For Luther to insist that it was not popes or councils, which can and have often contradicted each other, but instead the word of God that was the supreme and primary authority in the church in all matters of faith and doctrine, it was a very serious matter. Dr. Robert Preuss of Blessed Memory wrote that Luther is most insistent that God actually speaks in the scriptures. The scriptures are deus loquens. The scriptures are God speaking. Luther wrote, it is cursed unbelief and odious flesh which will not permit us to see and know that God speaks to us in Scripture, and that it is God's Word. The flesh tells us that it is merely the Word of Isaiah or Paul or some other man who has not created heaven and earth. We've got a sola theme going on these weeks. We've got an alone thing going on. Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone, and today, Scripture alone. There is no plus one option like you find on a wedding invitation. 
It's not Christ plus one. Christ plus something else. It's not grace plus one. It's not faith plus one. It's not scripture plus anything else. And in these cases, despite what Three Dog Night has to say, one is not the loneliest number. It's the only number that gets us right with God. God's word alone. The good news is that God's word actually became human flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory and so that we might have eternal life in him. God's word alone became Christ alone. So scripture alone connects us with Christ alone. Christ alone connects us with the Father. So now that I've dated myself with references to South Park from 1997 and Ghostbusters and Three Dog Night, how about something a little more current, like the Reformation? Oh, it happened 500 years ago. But it's still relevant today. And it's still happening today. During the Reformation, there was a movement called humanism. Not like the secular humanism you hear about today. Rather, this humanism sparked a renewal of going back to the sources of information. And in this case, information about God. The battle cry of this humanism was ad fontes, which is Latin for back to the sources. Luther and his contemporaries went back to Scripture to find out about God and our relationship to him. See, before this, Scripture had been conspicuously absent. Your average lay person would probably never see a Bible in their entire life. And if they did, they could not read it. Your average priest probably had never seen a Bible. Luther didn't even get access to the Bible until he started working on his doctorate. It was the church's authority by means of the Pope, not anymore, but no longer. Now, Scripture alone, the way God intended it. Now, I need to explain a couple of theological terms here that sound very complicated. Trust me, they're not that complicated. Just the words are complicated. There is something in theology called the material principle and the formal principle. And our deacons are already nodding their heads. We just went over this stuff. The material principle refers to the most important teaching. The main teaching of the faith on which all others rest is the doctrine of justification. In other words, that sinners are declared righteous by God's grace alone through faith in Christ on account of Christ's work alone. And now you see why we use the term justification as a shorthand for this sentence. To be justified is to be declared to be righteous, which we heard about last week. We are declared righteous by God's grace alone. That is, God's favorable disposition toward us because of what Jesus has done for us. That's what we mean by grace. And all of this is received by faith alone, which is a gift from God through the proclamation of the gospel and the administration of the sacraments. So what is the central teaching of Lutheran theology? That sinners are declared to be righteous 
on the basis of God's favorable disposition toward them on account of Christ's substitutionary death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, which is to be received by faith alone on account of Christ. Now, I know your head hurts right now. If Advil in my office, if you need it after church. But it's important for us to clear up these terms. A lot of times people just talk right past each other, thinking there is either agreement or disagreement where there's really nothing in common at all. That's the material principle. On the other hand, the formal principle refers to the place where we find out that central teaching, where we find justification by grace through faith. The formal principle is the source of authority and knowledge that constitute a body of belief. That would be the Bible. And in fact, that central teaching, justification, is directly found in the pages of Scripture. Both Romans and Ephesians make this abundantly clear, and it's everywhere else as well, but it's almost in these exact words in Romans 3 and Ephesians 2. There is a strong connection between Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone, and Scripture alone. But Scripture alone is not going to help anyone if they can't read it and they can't hear it in their own language. That was another contribution to the Reformation. Luther translated the Bible into the language of the people, the language spoken in the street, the language of the heart. He translated the Bible into German so that everybody could read the Bible, so that everybody could have access to Christ. Because of that, each of us can read the Bible. Each of us has access to Christ. William Tyndale, an Englishman who was later burned at the stake as a heretic for doing so, would ultimately sit down with Luther's German translation and the original texts of Scripture and translate them into the first English Bible in quite some time. Which makes me wonder why anyone would not want to read the Bible. Why is the Bible the number one best-selling book of all time that is also one of the least read? Number one best-selling dust collector. Why would anyone not want to know Jesus? Luther, in his explanation of the third commandment, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, wrote, We should fear and love God so that we do not despise preaching in his word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. Rejecting the Bible is, in a way, rejecting God. Because reading the Bible is what connects us to God. Rejecting the Bible disconnects us from the only way to God, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We get to Christ alone through Scripture alone. And it's not boring. Oh, the Bible is not boring. Some parts are harder to read than others and may not pique our interest as much as other parts. But the Bible is a very creative book. Scripture, scripture is creative and it is creating. Have you ever read a novel that is so creative that the words just seem to come alive? One of those things, what do they call them, a real page turner? reading a book on gravity, anti-gravity lately, and 
got to tell you, I just can't put it down. Waka waka. She's trying to see if you're still awake. That's not even written in the script. Have you ever read something that was so compelling that the words seemed to come alive and jump off the page? The words of God, the word of God did in fact come alive. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 and verse 14, we hear, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling place among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the only one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word here refers to Jesus. He is full of grace and truth, and we find that word also in the words of Scripture. Lutheran Church for years has maintained on the basis of, of these, this text that all of Scripture points to Christ. Wherever you cut the Bible, it bleeds the blood of Christ. It leads us to the cross. Scripture alone connects us with Christ alone. And when I teach the doctrine of Scripture to my students, I draw attention to the five attributes or characteristics of the Bible. Scripture is authoritative, inerrant, not containing any error, efficacious, it does what it wants to, as we heard from Isaiah, Sufficient, it's everything that we need to know to be saved, and it is perspicuous. Gesundheit. Each of our Bible readings for today point out these characteristics. The Bible is authoritative. It has authority because they are God's words. In 2 Timothy, we heard Paul say, all scripture is God-breathed. That's literally what inspiration means. God-breathed. Breathed. God does a lot of good stuff with his breath. Look at what he did to Adam. He made him alive by breathing into him the breath of life. And God is still breathing new life into people, into you and into me through his God-breathed scripture. And scripture is inerrant. The original manuscripts of the Bible contain absolutely no errors whatsoever, whatsoever because scripture is God-breathed. And God has good breath. Scripture is efficacious. That means that God's word does something to the reader. We hear God say through Isaiah, My word will not return to me void or empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which the scriptures have accomplished that purpose in your life. And scripture is sufficient. That means it contains everything necessary for our salvation. Oh, it may not contain every bit of information we'd like, like, for example, who's the best NFL team. I had to find out from other sources that it's the Minnesota Vikings. <laughs> but when it comes to getting us to heaven, it's all right here. A love letter from God to you. 
In our gospel lesson, Jesus points out that the scriptures have in them eternal life because the scriptures testify about Jesus. And of course, finally, scripture is perspicuous. Perspicuity, that's a funny word. Try saying perspicuity with a mouthful of saltine crackers. You sound like Donald Duck. Perspicuity means that it is clear. It is clearly understandable. If any word is unclear to me, it's perspicuity, but Scripture itself really is clear. That's why Luther wanted to translate the Bible into the language of the people, because it was clear enough for them to understand. Scripture is clear enough for you and me to understand. You don't have to go to seminary to read your Bible. We don't need any special decryption code to unveil secret information. Timothy knew, says Paul, from infancy that the scriptures which were able to make him wise unto salvation and are able to make you and me wise unto salvation. So be wordy. Get into the word and then share the word because scripture alone connects us to Christ alone who gets us right with the Father. You may not immediately understand every word on every page, but the basic message is as clear as a bell. You are forgiven and free on account of Christ's death and resurrection. The word is alive and it's still working to create and strengthen faith in each and every one of us and is still calling people to salvation in Christ. The word of God is delivered to us in proclamation in the text of scripture and most of all in the word of God who became flesh and made his dwelling place among us. He whose own glory was displayed not only in the majesty of his almighty power, but in his suffering and death in our place. The cross of Jesus, the word of God made flesh, is God's message to us once and for all. And this message I declare to you week in and week out. I forgive you all of your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you please rise as we confess that faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God. 